Take your Bible with me this morning after an after a 45-minute introduction last week, I'm not going to give you any introduction today. We're going to pick right up with verse 1 in chapter 3. This will be the second lesson in this series, The Manifold Wisdom of God. This will be part 2, The Manifold Wisdom of God. I'm not going to really give you an introduction, but I am going to set this thing up real quick. Okay? <laughs> and you'll see this. And I, I, I had never thought about that. this, what I'm going to tell you until I was studying, preparing for this, this week. Whatever this manifold wisdom of God is that Paul says been revealed to him, it, it is not primarily the gospel. It's not Christ and his accomplished work, who he is, what he did, how he actually saved his people from their sins. Because here's the thing. Whatever was revealed to Paul concerning this manifold wisdom of God that he's talking about here in this third chapter, it is something that he has been given the responsibility to preach out fully and completely and more manifestly to both Jew and Gentile. Because here's the thing. At this particular time, the Jews were begin they, you know, they were still the converted Jews, the ones who had believed the gospel, even the apostles. They still, you know, they might have said, well, God's going to add some Gentiles, because they knew through time there had been some Gentiles included in the family of God, Rahab the harlot, uh, 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 Ruth, yeah, no, Ruth. I always, I always say Naomi, but it's Ruth. I know you, but Ruth, you know, there, there's, you know, there's several instances the, they, they knew, probably had known of, even though it wasn't in social media days. I'll guarantee you they knew about the, the salvation of that Ethiopian eunuch. You know, that, there were some Gentiles added in, but they were still aversive to this idea of both Jew and Gentile making up one body and all being equally included in the family of God. They still, I mean, I, I think about it in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, when our Lord is about to ascend, you know, that last event right before the day of Pentecost, and the, the, the apostles stand there. Now, after they've been with him for three and a half years, after they've heard him talk about the, the necessity of him going away to put away sin, to save his people, they stand there right before he goes up, and they say to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> In other words, what? They're still looking for an earthly rule down here an earthly reign. And the kingdom of God, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14, I think, he says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's uh, righteousness and joy, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's established. And so he's, he's seeking to make it clear, not just to these Gentiles, but to the Jews who would also read this letter, that both Jew and Gentile make up what? One body. Christ's body. Where Christ dwells. And his, here's the thing. Every single solitary child of God makes up an intricate and important part of this body. All of them equally saved, equally qualified, equally fit, equally included. None better than the other. And that's hard for human nature to accept. 
I've preached 35, 36 years. <laughs> Just, yeah, I'm a pretty decent dad. I'm a pretty good mother. I've been a pretty good child. Yeah, pretty good, don't get it. Yeah. So look at what he says here, verse 1. He says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I think one of the most amazing things about the change that occurs in the children of God is the humility that he instills in his people. When Paul was Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus had a reputation. And like the Pharisees, what was Paul concerned about? He was concerned about his reputation. You know, it, it was a name. I saw, a, 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 you know, and it, I know it's a pet peeve of mine, but it's just one, and I don't think it's a pet peeve. I think it's scriptural. I really do. It troubles me when any man who claims to preach the gospel of God's free grace claims to be resting in Christ's blood and his righteousness alone, would for any reason put those three little letters in front of his name with a dot after it. What? R-E-V. Reverend. You say, well, that's, that's being awful finicky. And I'm, I'm like, no, here, here's what, this, to me, this is the key. Holy and reverend is his name. That's from the psalm. Holy and reverend is his name. That word reverend means one who is revered. One to be revered. Folks, I'm not to be revered. Now, I should be respected as your pastor, but we reverence who? <laughs> the only one is perfect righteousness. The only one that demands perfect righteousness. The only one who can accept perfect righteousness is who? The Lord of glory. And so for a man to take that title to himself, it, it, it seems contrary to what the Word of God is. It's contrary to what the Apostle Paul said. I tell you, I thought about this this week as I was out there walking down that walking trail. Find me one instance in any letter that Paul wrote to any church anywhere. And if he wrote the book of Hebrews, include that as well. Find me one instance where he referred to himself and even called himself the Apostle Paul. Like it's like, you know, like if, you know, an opening address to somebody. He, he said, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Whatever, whatever office he had, it wasn't something that he attained through learning or through education or through uh, elevation by man. God put him in that office. And that's important because he, the way he starts this, he says, he said, just simply Paul. <laughs> that, that, that's all any man that preaches the gospel. Today. I know many of you call me brother. Some of you call me pastor. Most of the people that I know, you know what you call me? Uh-huh. Richard. That's a, I'm, I'm you. Well, I'm not you, but I'm like you. Let's, I'm like you. I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. There's nothing special about any preacher. 
There's, there, there's no different standard of judgment for me than there is for you. The same thing required for you is the same thing required for me. So how can I elevate myself above anybody? How can I take pride in whatever I... And I wouldn't anyhow. But how can I take pride in anything I preach or say or do? Now the tendency is we do. Huh? Think the hardest thing for any man that preaches the gospel to deal with is when people cast accolades their way. I try to push everybody that comes in contact with me. You know where I push them to? I push them to Bill. I push them to Gary. I push them to other men. Because it ain't about men. You hear me? Paul says, I'm, I'm simply, for this cause, what cause? Everything he said before. Everything he's told them up to this point. That, 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 that phrase, for this cause, is literally like the word therefore. It's a reference back Everything that I've wrote to you in this letter for this reason, for this purpose. I, Paul, and he says this. He says, I'm the prisoner. Who's he prisoner to? He's the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Well, you Gentile. Paul understood his office, didn't he? Now, he did preach the gospel to the Jews at times. Matter of fact, the Jews who ultimately imprisoned him and sent him, you know, he, he, he had to go to Rome because of it. But he knew that God, because God had told him at the very beginning when he called him out, he sent Ananias his way and he said, you go tell him what great things he shall suffer for my, say, my name's sake. Remember Ananias said, Lord, I can't go up there. I know about that guy. He, he's, he's seeking to kill people. And our Lord said, he is my chosen vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he took it serious. Uh-huh. And that's just a guy, this is a Jew. Remember how much trouble Peter had with the Jew, Gentiles? Remember when our Lord purposed to send him to Cornelius and gave him that vision? And even when he got down there, he was still prejudiced toward Cornelius. He told Cornelius, don't you know it's not right for me to be down here with you? But Paul understood God uses means. And the means he used, has determined to use is what? His gospel preached out, heard, understood, believed in, rested in by God-given faith which men and women cannot work up on their own. And so he takes this purpose deadly serious because here's the thing for this cause in other words he knew his salvation where did it come from is he penned by God the Holy Spirit blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed he included himself blessed us me, me and you Jew and Gentile what's he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places According as he has chosen some Jews and a few Gentiles, and everyone, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, Jew and Gentile, 
He understood that what was he before the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. Paul would be the first to tell you, you know what I was? I was dead in trespasses and sin. He would be the first to tell you he was eagerly and dogmatically going about to establish a righteousness, wasn't he? But thank God, what else did he know? He knew he, just like they, had been raised together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And yet Paul declares of himself, based on this, what am I? I'm Christ's prisoner. I'm his prisoner. Now, Paul was a prisoner in Rome, but he wasn't a prisoner because of capital crime that he had committed. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't anything that would imprison anybody. He was in prison for one reason only. Why was he in prison? He preached Christ and him crucified, and he would not relent. Look at verse 2 through 6. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given unto me to you, how that by revelation he made known, and notice this, by revelation he made known unto who? To me, to Paul. See, Peter, Peter wasn't given this special revelation that Paul, like Paul was. Paul, Peter, preached primarily to who? To the Jews. John preached primarily to the Jews. Paul preached to the Gentile. And he said, how by that, by revelation, or by divine illumination, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote unto, wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here's the manifold revelation, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Paul reminds them that, that God had appointed and had equipped him for the office of the apostle and had sent him primarily to preach to the Gentiles. And this mystery of Christ that he's talking about in this section in these verses 2 through 6 is, is not described as a mystery because it's something mysterious or mystical or ethereal. It's called a mystery because what? It can't be known by natural reasoning. You can't figure this out. Turn, turn in your Bible back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I, when I think about the, the revelation of anything from the Word of God, I always think about this. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. I can't help but think of our Lord Jesus Christ when they ask him, Lord, why do you always speak in parables to the Jews? 
I actually went back and uh, I listened to a message that I preached several years ago uh, on the, the kingdom parables on the sower and the seed. And the point is relevant now as it was then. You know, I, I mean, you think about it, if Christ really, his desire and his hope and his wish was that everybody would come to him, that everybody would accept him, that everybody would believe in him, wouldn't it have been better if he'd have spoke plainly? I mean, if, if that's, because that's the way the world reasons, you know. Wouldn't it have been better instead of going into the things that he went into about the sower and the seed, just wouldn't it have been better to tell him, won't you come to me and accept me as your personal Lord and Savior? Wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that have been easier? Let's make it as simple as we can. I get so tired of people saying, y'all complicate things and you think everybody's got to be a theologian. I don't think anybody's got to be a theologian. I believe everybody's got to know the doctrine of Christ. And I think there is a wonderful, excellent, perfect teacher of the doctrine of Christ. And it is not Richard Warmack, it's not Bill Parker, it's not Henry Mahan, it's not Kenny Dice, it's not anybody you or I know who's got to reveal it. They told our Lord, why don't you speak to them plainly? He said, here's why. For it is not given unto them to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to you, it's given. You see that? If you think you figured this out, you ain't figured nothing out. If you came to this of your own free will, I'm going to tell you what, you have not come yet. You hadn't. It's impossible. Look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians chapter. You ought to memorize the sections of this passage of Scripture. Because he starts off in verse 2 and he says, For I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I, I swear the older I get, the longer I preach, the more important that becomes to me. I have one thing to say. I saw somebody post a sermon by a guy on his wall. It was the first sermon of, of 24, January. It was last, last January the 1st, 2024. And it was on how to have, have and raise happy children and have a good family. That ain't coming from here. You hear me? Now, we're going to get into, in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, we're going to get into children obey your parents, right? We're going to talk about husband love your wives, but none of those things can be divorced or separated from what's said in the first three chapters. There's no man can truly love his wife who is not loved to God. That's not. There's no man that can truly not provoke his children to wrath unless he knows this Lord. That's all we can do is provoke them to wrath. Our desire is to provoke them to love and good works. And good works, which work? <laughs> Go to church, give a tithe, be kind. No. We, we, we direct them toward the work of God, do we not? Isn't that where you want your children to be? Those Jews said, show us, how do you say, what good thing can we do that we might work the works of God? Sounds 
sincere, doesn't it? What good thing can we do that we might work the works of God? What was Christ's answer to it? This is the work of God. In other words, this is God's work. And this is for you and me too. This is God's work. That you believe on him whom God has sent. You know what that tells me, Kenny? I can't believe on him whom God has sent unless God works it in me. And that's consistent with the scriptures. That's consistent with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. That's consistent with Romans chapter 1, verse, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through verse 17. You don't believe it? Go read it for yourself. If you're unregenerate, it ain't going to make no difference. But if you're a child of God, you'll see the truth of it. Because blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. It's a gift. Totally and completely. He goes on, though, and he says this. Verse 7, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, mystery, <laughs> mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And I've always liked the way he wrote this, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, had they known what? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Satan knew that. What would he have never done? They wouldn't have crucified him. We were talking about it this last Wednesday night, and Bill, I, I mentioned it, and Bill actually, I, I never forgot again who he said the guy was that said it. He was preaching some sermon somewhere and was talking about, you know, how evil, and you're just weep, all that weepy crap, you know, just... Oh, it's so bad how they be. And it, it, it's horrific to think what they did to our Lord. But I tell you, tears running down my cheek can't describe that. But he was going on and on about how vilely they treated our Lord. And he said, his statement was, this was if I had been there, I would have stopped it. You think about that. Aren't you grateful men couldn't stop this? Remember Peter? When our Lord told him, from that point forward, after that, that deal about on this rock I'll build my church, and, you know, he, he started from that point, told him that he must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer and bleed and die. What did Peter say? Far be it from you that this will ever happen to you. In other words, we'll stop it. How'd Christ respond to that? I'm so grateful you have my, my needs, physical needs, is your primary concern. No, he's, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things of God. What's the things of God? His glory, Ob. God, God's about to be glorified in this person through his redemptive word. And Peter's saying... There's got to be some other way. No other way. Sinners can only be redeemed one way. What? He had to go to that cross. And a man or a woman that would think that if they had been there, they'd stopped it, they're denying the absolute necessity of the accomplished death of Christ. Don't give them credit. <laughs> they're so kind and compassionate. No, they're devils is what they are. Period. Point blank. 
He says, but as it's written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man's the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Verse 10. Here's the secret to it all. But God hath revealed it unto us. How? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Isn't it amazing that the most well-educated men that had spent all their lives in the Judaistic faith missed the Lord of glory? They had read about all the miracles that would identify him, all the marks that would come in prophetic history that would point to this person, and they missed it. And yet a bunch of uneducated fools, weak, feeble, base creatures with no education, huh? just mean, humble, ordinary, everyday bucket lunch workers, that they see him for who he is and believe and rest in him. And then go out and tell people about him. I always think about a story that I heard years ago about John Bunyan and uh, John Owen. Uh, they existed at the same time, friend. John, if you know anything about the history of Reformed faith, John Owen, uh, I'm telling you what, John Owen was brilliant. I know that God give, gifted that man with. One of, one of the best books ever written, The Death of the Death of the Death of Christ. If you hadn't read that one, you need to read it. But John Owen started, what's that, what's that big religious university? Oh, Oxford, I think that's the one that he started. And was like the first dean of it. And he used to go down where John Bunyan, who had not any education at all, and would listen to John Bunyan. And all of his peers there at Oxford University, I think that was where he was at. I might be wrong. Somebody out there sees this, and I'm talking about the wrong university, write me and tell me. It might have been Cambridge, but I think it's Oxford. But they, they were like almost ridiculing him, like, why do you waste your time? And this is what they call John Bunyan, a, such a tinkerer. I tell you, if he was a tinkerer, go read uh, Justification by an Imputed Righteousness that John Bunyan wrote. And Owen looked at them and he said, I would give every bit of the knowledge I have to preach Christ like John Bunyan preaches Christ. Uh-huh. So it's not about, it's not about the man. Uh-huh. It's about how God is pleased to use the message. Lost my place. See, here's the thing. It, it's, it's divine truth, whatever this, this uh, revelation is, this mystery, and it's revealed by divine revelation. You'll notice here in verse 3, he says, he says in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore 
in a few words. And by the road of four in a few words, he's referring back to what he said in verse 19, 20, 21, 22 of chapter 2. How that now, what they were, they were far off, what are they now? Before they were strangers and foreigners, but now what are they? They're fellow citizens. That's the few words that he gave, but he says, now I'm fixing to expound it for you. Then to make it clear to you. See, and I, I said this in the beginning, this mystery of Christ, it's not primarily the gospel. and Really, it's not the gospel that he's talking about because he had preached it to them. These people that he writes, they, he didn't catch them off guard with Ephesians chapter 1. You hear me? I've had people tell me through the years, you know, you need to be subtle. <laughs> you need to be more subtle and sneak up on people with it. Uh-uh. I think the gospel comes across like a sledgehammer is what it does. I don't try to sneak up on anybody. I don't, ever, I, I don't ever tone it down. And Paul never toned it down. Peter never toned it down. They never did. So it's not the gospel. They, he wrote to them. They weren't sitting there scratching their head when he, when he wrote this to them. Because why? He had already preached this to them when he came there to begin with. He was just writing back to them to do what? To confirm what he had already preached there and everywhere else. Paul, Paul and all the apostles. I remember that old guy we started over under years ago back over in Shreveport. He could go to an Armenian church that believed in free will. And you know what he could do? He could sound just like Billy Graham. And he would come over to where we were at, back up at Heiko, where I was trying to establish a Reformed church, and he would get over in Romans chapter 8, 9, 10, but he never made it as clear as Henry did. When, I mean, whatever we were doing, it didn't offend people. You can preach Reformed doctrine, folks won't get offended by it. They might get their feelings hurt a little bit, but they get over it. Ah, it's just a little doctrine, because they, they say, we can believe a little different. That's, that's the way we looked at it. It's just a little different doctrine. But he'd come over to us. I remember one time he came over to preach for us, and a, a, a guy that was at Heiko before me, he was over to Big First Baptist Church, and his wife was sitting by one of our church members and said, I've never heard him preach anything like that before. You know what I tell you? That's chameleon. I'm going to tell you what. If they had a community offering... <laughs> We're going to get together and we're going to let all the various preachers in Ruston, we're going to have a big revival. And we're going to let all the different preachers, any come, any come all. You know who would be first in line to go up there? I would, Kenny. I would. And you know what I'd probably preach on? I'd preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. And first words out of my mouth when I stood in crowd of that, because there'd be a throng there. They could probably fill Temple Baptist Church to the gill, coming out to, we all get together and lock arms and sing kumbaya. I'm going to stand up in that pulpit, and the first question out of my mouth, do you really want to know the gospel? And I'm going to tell them the gospel. And what are they going to say? This guy is a fool. And I understand that but it wouldn't change the message. Not at all. 
But see, the gospel's already been revealed to these Gentiles. And, and Paul had preached it to them. And it's not just the simple fact that God was going to call some of the Gentiles. These were already revealed. The mystery of Christ, which is now revealed in its fullness, is the relationship, and this is so important, the relationship of both Jew and Gentile in the church under the gospel economy. That's the mystery. In the gospel church, you think about it, there's both Jew and Gentile, and both of them enjoy perfect equality, as Paul says in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Imagine that. Both Jew and Gentile are now, what are you this morning? The seed of Abraham. What are you? If you believe this gospel this morning, what do you call? He's not a Jew, this one outwardly. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 28-29, neither circumcision outward, which is in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is not in the flesh, but it's where? It's in the heart. Remember what, our, what the, the, one of the prophets wrote? That he'll take out that heart of stone and he will insert what? A heart of flesh. Huh? What's that? That's regeneration. That's God's work in a sinner. If you don't believe that, go read Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, 20, 28. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Greek, male, female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, if you be Christ, all one in Christ Jesus, make no difference who and where we are. Where we are. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Now, this that absolutely nothing different from what our Lord Jesus Christ taught. Listen to you. John chapter 10, verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see that? Who did he lay down his life for? The sheep. And I've said this, I'll continue to say it. As long as the Lord gives me breath, he did not shed one drop of his precious blood for a single goat. He laid down his life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? Other sheep. Still sheep. Not other goats that I'm going to turn into sheep. Other sheep I have. How does he have them? By divine election. He's about to have them by divine purchase, by his obedience unto death. He will have them in time in each successive generation in regeneration and conversion by his Holy Spirit. Other sheep I have which are not of this foe, not of Israel, not natural born Jews, them also, and this is what I think about all the time, them also I must bring. 
Not Richard's bringing them or you're bringing them or anybody else's bringing them. I don't want to bring anybody into the church of God. Because I'm going to tell you what, if I brought you into the church of God, bye-bye, you've gone at some point in time. But if he brings them, notice what it says. He says this is what he says now. He said, them I also must bring, and there will be one fold, not two. It's not the Gen- Jews' sheep in a little side corral where the Gentiles are dwelling. All mixed up. One body, because we've all got what? One shepherd. One shepherd. Out of time. We'll quit right there and come back and pick up verse 7 next week. You're dismissed the worship hour. Appreciate your presence. Mm-hmm.